it's your second favorite host, Robin, here, bringing you a special Girl Mode Dispatch. So, earlier this week, Willa and I were fortunate enough to sit down with Rue Dickey, who is a great tabletop designer and streamer, and most relevant for this episode, the organizer of two charity bundles of tabletop games on itch.io. So, Rue organized the TTRPGs for Trans Rights in Texas bundle that you may have seen last year, which was a huge success, raising over $400,000 for trans charities in Texas. Uh, and now he has brought us the TTRPGs for Trans Rights in Florida bundle, which similarly is raising uh, money for trans charities in Florida. So, we were going to release this as part of this week's episode. But we decided we wanted to not do too much editing of it, like let just, you know, Rue kind of speak and uh, share as much of his words as possible. And also to give you a bit more time to check out the bundle if you would like to, because it's only going to be available until April 7th. So uh, if you are interested, please check it out quickly. This is a bundle of 500, uh, just over 500 tabletop games and supplements, which you can pick up for just $5. You also are able to raise your donation if you'd like. And again, all of that money is going to some very uh, excellent organizations that Rue describes in detail later in the episode. So we're going to have a link to that bundle in the show description, along with links to Rue's social media channels if you'd like to follow what they're doing next. Uh, and without further ado, here is Will and I in conversation with Rue Dickey on queer communities in tabletop games and some very practical suggestions for how you can show up for queer people in your own life. I uh, hope you enjoy. Uh, okay, so I guess just to lead into it, um, do you just want to introduce yourself, Rue, and tell us a bit about like what you do, um, kind of outside of the 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 bundle? Yeah. So my name is Rue Dickey. I use they, he, or Z pronouns if you're feeling spicy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a tabletop game designer, a sensitivity reader, an editor, and a content creator. Uh, I perform on actual play streams, and I build cosplay costumes and compete professionally um, in the costuming space. Uh, and then game design-wise, I do independent work as well as freelance for larger publishers. In my day job, I work in marketing, so I do marketing for a community center. And I do freelance marketing for tabletop Kickstarters and those sorts of things also. Yeah, very cool. To go back <laughs> like quite a ways, like how did you get into uh, tabletop games to begin with? Like both playing them and then eventually like designing them? I've been playing tabletop games for mm, time. <laughs> 15 years? Yeah, wow. let's go with 15 wow. years. That seems right. <laughs> um I've played D&D since 3.5 um, and other games more frequently mm -hmm. since about 2018. And in 2019, I think, was the first stream that I was on. So I had been just playing kind of casually at home with friends and playing with my friend group at college and those sorts of things. Uh, but back in 2019, a channel that I like to watch uh, did a really big charity meat grinder where essentially, I think they had like 40 or so people who would just essentially tag in when someone died. Yeah. Uh, and we <laughs> raised money for, I want to say it was a domestic violence charity. And so I played in that and found that I really liked it. So I got more involved in streaming communities 
Um, I did a lot of work and still do work with Heroes Without Limits, which is uh, a disabled and chronically ill tabletop RPG community. So uh, we do streaming, we do fundraising, and we also do consultation for tabletop publishers that want their books to either have better disability representation or just be more accessible to play and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I do community admin work over there. Uh, And so I got into streaming that way. Um, And then I really sort of got more into game design and writing in 2020 when I was at home from my day job, (laughs) because everybody was. (laughs) Uh, And I had a lot more time to like explore creatively. So I had been writing my own like homebrew D&D stuff the whole time because I GM. So I had been writing it for a while, but I was like, why not start publishing and writing my own little games and things like that? So I did a l- I participated in a lot of game jams in 2020 because I was like, I have nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I sort of fell in love with game design through that uh, and have been writing them since. I do more freelance work now than independent work. I haven't written a game for myself since last summer, which is kind of sad. Um, <laughs> I'll get back to it eventually, but I gotta pay bills, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to balance those things. So that's really cool that, like, your first streaming experience was also for, like, charity, uh, you know, bringing charity into the TTRPG space. That's- yeah, I... Most of the streams that I do are charity streams. Mm-hmm. I'm in two ongoing campaigns, um, but aside from those two, I play essentially almost exclusively in charity games. Yeah, that's cool. I know so for you, you organized the um, TTRPGs for Trans Rights Bundle last year, and that had like a really massive response. Have you found like these streams tend to like is is it kind of up and down for them, or do you find that like when you do charity streams, people tend to like show up for kind of whatever you're there to support it's sort of a little bit of both i will say uh Mm -hmm. people tend to show up really well for charity streams in terms of like engagement and audience Mm -hmm. uh but they don't tend to make as much money as the big bundles and things do Mm. uh mostly uh because they're shorter times because at most you've got like a four hour stream and the donations don't necessarily have like a direct return, uh, which as a person, I don't think that donations need something given back to you in return, but it does entice a lot more folks to get involved. And so if your like reward for donating during a stream is uh, like if, if your stream has rewards associated with those donation things, even if they're just affecting the outcome of the game, mm-hmm. those streams will tend to do better than just general we're streaming for charity streams. Uh, because as a community, we love when things are gamified and incentivized. <laughs> Imagine um, that. Yeah, it's very, who knows? Um, but yeah, so I do, but I do find that as a whole, like, the community does show up for charity streams and you can get pretty big name folks and folks who you would think would not be interested um, to play for free for charity if you give them enough time and, like, space for planning um like i've been in streams with folks like b dave walters and todd stashwick and stuff Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. where if you just give them like three to four months advance heads up like hey i'm running a charity drive in july do you have time xyz weekend uh and even the big name folks in the space are willing to sort of 
give their time and presence to charity work, which I really appreciate about the tabletop space. Yeah, that's really great. Has Have you found that to be the same case with, like, organizing this bundle? Like, did you have to, like, to get, um, I know there's other, like, publishers who were involved outside of itch and stuff. Was it uh, sort of a similar process of just kind of giving a heads up? Or did you have to kind of, like, track people down? Or, like, how did you get folks involved? It's sort of a mix. So I've got... Yeah pretty good connections at a lot of publishers having either worked for them or worked closely with them in the past. Uh, And so in some cases it was reaching out to my contacts at those publishers and being like, Hey, would you like to be involved in this? Could you pass this up to your marketing team? Could you pass this up to your community team? Whoever works with those sorts of things. Uh, And so that's how some of it, like that's how Solarian got involved and a couple of other folks um, and Chaosium got involved through Twitter because they saw it on Twitter. Um, and that's how that's the other way that a lot of the publishers have gotten to it is having seen the bundle either on itch or Twitter, contacting me via DM or via email. Uh, I have lots of folks also who email me asking to add their games to the bundle, which unfortunately I can't do now that it's live. Um, but all those folks that reached out to me, I gave access to the Discord server so that if I plan another one, they get notified right away um when i'm recruiting for the bundle and things like that but yeah it wasn't a lot of like i didn't have to do a lot of labor to get those other publishers on board most of them were really like super into it um paizo was going to be involved uh but the timing of the bundle did not work for their like publishing schedule essentially um but they essentially gave me a rain check for the next one. So they will be involved in the next one because it wasn't that they didn't want to. It's just that right now their docket is not uh, like doesn't have space for it. Because I think they have two humble bundles running running right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they have so like many that. bundles going at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, something I'm you know very curious about is obviously you did the bundle last year. And returning to do it again, this time for, you know, to benefit Florida, what have you like learned coming into it the second time? And were there like changes you had to make or things that were like more difficult the first time around that you're kind of like, I know how to handle this now? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, the first time I did this, when I set up the bundle, I set it up on my account and I did it without like direct help from itch. So one, I had to input all 500 games manually. Uh, that's a nightmare. (laughs) I promise that's not fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) whereas if you do it the way that we did this time with the game jam and working with itch, uh, they have a back end algorithm that can just auto dump them into the bundle essentially, which is great. Um, but more importantly, getting in touch with the charities and getting them onboarded is harder than you would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes a couple of months for all of the tax paperwork to go through and all of the signatures that need to be done to go back and forth between the charities and itch via email and fax and everything else that needs to happen. And so because the the bundle was run on my account... Um, $400,000 just kind of, like, sat on my itch account for two months <laughs> oh, while they did the paperwork. <laughs> um, and it meant that I couldn't access my money from my own game sales that were not involved in the bundle until after that had been transferred, because itch doesn't let you, like, 
only withdraw X amount of money. It's an all or nothing sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely was not about to withdraw $400,000 and have to explain to the IRS uh, where I suddenly got $400,000 from. Yeah. <laughs> sounds uh, rough. <laughs> so, uh, so this year, to avoid that, and also to avoid the paperwork headache that it kind of was for Itch and the charities on the back end, uh, this year I got in touch with the charities first. Uh, we got them totally onboarded and all the paperwork done before starting the bundle, which is part of why it took so long this time, because mm-hmm. I began planning for this one back in October, hilariously, on my wedding day. Um, (laughs) I was like, here's the form. I'm going to go get married. I'll be back in two days. Uh, but, um, yeah, I remember messaging you around that time and you were like, yeah, yeah. I am getting married. So I'm a little busy. (laughs) Why don't we link back up in like a week? (laughs) Yeah. And then it was a lot longer than that (laughs) uh, because we had to wait for all the onboarding paperwork to go through. And then between holidays in November and December, and Itch has like a like a three week company closing period that they take in January. Um, the paperwork didn't get finalized until February, essentially. Uh, and so then it was me working with the charities to get them all the information they needed for their press contacts and for their like folks locally to know about the bundle and what's happening. Uh, and working with Itch to get everything set up and approved. Uh, and then we were able to go live. So it took a lot longer to do, but it's going to be much easier for everyone in terms of like logistics when it finishes. Um, also, mm-hmm. this means that no matter what, uh, Trans Inclusive Group, which is one of our charity partners, will get their money in time for the donor matching to happen through the Florida AIDS Walk, oh, which that's was great. my like biggest priority yeah Mm -hmm. um they're one of the beneficiaries this year of the florida aids walk and the angel donor will match all donations up to five hundred thousand dollars wow that's amazing so even when we split that number in half to give half to each charity trans inclusive group will get theirs doubled yeah that's amazing um do you want to uh talk a bit about the charities that are involved this time and like how you found them and and the kind of specific work that they do yeah Um, So I am a really big proponent of working with either trans-led or trans-centered charities um, for these bundles, and especially working with sort of smaller, more grassroots local charities, because bigger things like Equality Florida or Equality Texas, political action committees and large advocacy groups tend to be who get the big celebrity donations, who get lots of support from the media and those things. And their work is very important, and I'm glad they do it, but that money doesn't usually ever make it into the hands of a trans person. Mm. Um, And I want to help people directly, especially when they're being so persecuted in these states. Um, And so I wanted to get organizations that work directly with trans folks and especially with trans youth in Florida. Uh, So what I did was I did a lot of Googling. Um, My first step is always to Google things, but I also asked Twitter and I asked on my Facebook page and I also asked a couple of my friends who are from Florida or who have relatives that live there, like, 
if you were in Florida, where would you go? Who would you go to? Mm. Um, and one of my friends who grew up there and their dad is still a uh, high school teacher in Florida um, asked their dad, like, if you had a queer student, if you had a trans student who needed help, where would you send them? And these two, like, charities, like, Zebra Youth, every single person I asked, like, mentioned. Uh, and then Trans Inclusive Group, uh, I found through someone suggesting it and then doing a Google, like, deep dive. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so Zebra Youth is a network of organizations and shelters that serve LGBTQ youth. Um, ages 13 to 24, so they run um, safe haven shelters if you have to run away from home or an unsafe situation. They have psychiatric care and medical care on site. Uh, they have legal assistance for folks needing to file for emancipation or deal with the legal concerns of being a child in an unsafe situation they have social workers they have support services essentially everything you could possibly need as an at-risk youth in florida and they have sort of a network of these shelters and safe havens that operate throughout the state they were an obvious choice for me and like going through this process i've gotten like multiple dms and emails from folks who are like hey i live in florida and i spent six months at a zebra youth shelter like while i was in high school um and so like seeing the actual impact they have yeah. is really like amazing to me yeah, yeah that's great and then uh trans inclusive group uh is a trans-led trans-centered charity uh that works towards equality for all trans and queer folks in Florida. And they work both as a sort of direct engagement, uh, supporting the trans community, getting access to uh, gender-inclusive medical care, HRT, those sorts of services. Um, but they also work with the hospitals and local care providers to train them on how to better serve their trans patients um, and how to better support them in navigating the structure and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and specifically also trans inclusive group is focused on ending the racial disparities in queer communities. So their focus is trans people of color first uh, and making sure that they sort of like build those bridges to trans folks who have not gotten the same amount of support hysteric, not hysterically, rather <laughs> historically. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You know, for me, one of the things that, you know, I've seen is the bundle both the first time and this time around. It's like it gets a lot of good word of mouth and support because, you know, the TTRPG community and, you know, the queer community and trans community, we like we kind of put it out there and get it around. Um, but for me, something that I've always been frustrated with with like trans rights lately is like getting it out to people outside of the community. Have you has this been like something you've dealt with with the bundle um, of like having trouble getting it to people outside of the communities that, you know, you're already in who are already supporting it? Yeah. Um, last year, I like did a little bit of news outreach and stuff. Uh, I actually ended up getting interviewed by NBC for their Trans Day of Visibility like special, mm -hmm. which was cool. Um, and I really appreciated that effort uh but it was very strange because like 
it was kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Um, and then I made the mistake of looking at the Facebook comments. Don't do that. Just oh, yeah. don't. No, never. Um, Rule number one. <laughs> I, I had to text my mom, like, do not look at the oh. Facebook comments. <sighs> I made the mistake. Don't do it. Um, mm. <laughs> but uh, this time around, I tried to be a little bit more proactive about that, hoping to get the word out more. And like myself and my spouse contacted like all of like our local news agencies, as well as a lot of other like more nationwide news agencies that are queer friendly or even queer run, um, and didn't get really any response back. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit frustrating, and I agree with you that it's very easy to get things passed around in our circles, but really hard to sort of like yell out past that circle. Um, and I have not yet succeeded in finding a way to break that barrier. I'm working on it, but I have not figured it out yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's rough. Like it, that's something we, I think we all see in like a bunch of different efforts where it's like everyone who this is already affecting and who knows about it is talking about it all the time, but to get like, you know, cis folks generally more interested is, is much harder. That's something that, that really interests me about the, the, uh, trans inclusive group that you mentioned, like training up healthcare workers of like how to treat trans people, which I think is like an issue that a lot of cis folks don't even know uh, is an issue, is like that kind of, that lack of knowledge, that that skill gap there. So there's like a lot of barriers to overcome there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something that I always forget until I'm talking to a cis person <laughs> that I'm like, yeah, I had to go doctor shopping yeah. for like six oh, months to find one who wouldn't misgender me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they're always like, what do you mean? They're like you don't like this doctor and i'm like well it's hard finding a doctor as a trans person yeah i think that i mean that also to me kind of ties into like the first bundle focused on texas and this bundle focused on florida which are both states that have had like very public anti-trans legislation going on but like even in the time since this bundle started to get organized there have been bills like spring up like wildfire like across the country so like do you see there being sort of a a way for this type of fundraising to deal with something like that that's like large scale decentralized it's not like these big flashpoints that you can point to and be like here's the problem and we're going to deal with it like what are kind of the the limits that you see around this type of fundraising or do you think that there is like an effective way of of dealing with sort of a more nationwide campaign with something like this yeah i think the limitations of doing something like this for like an ent- like not necessarily an entire country, but specifically a country as large as the U.S., Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that we don't really have an interconnected queer nonprofit network. Yeah. If there was a nonprofit that did the work that these ones do in every state, then it would be a lot easier to be like, oh, we're going to donate to grassroots lgbtq usa uh, or some other better named nonprofit. um but like there isn't that level of interconnectedness and i feel like sometimes there is like regionally even you can get Uh, organizations that work across multiple states or across certain areas but you never find any one or even a couple organizations that will give you that full coverage across the country Mm -hmm. Um, and so it would be untenable to run what I'm doing for each state that has this which is 
kind of depressing, I guess, when I think about it, um, because there are so many states in which this oppression is happening in that it has become essentially too fast for fundraising in this manner to keep up with. And that's not to say that I'm going to stop. I intend <laughs> to keep doing these um, <laughs> as often as I have to, I guess. Um, but there is like a lot of labor that goes into these, um, both on like my end and Itch's end and the charities who have to do all of the paperwork and the onboarding and like informing their members and their clients and things like that. Um, and then all of the like financial labor that everyone who donates their games in is doing in those sales that those folks don't get because they've gotten the games through the bundle. And so I can only ask that of so many people about once a year before it sort of feels like I'm exploiting my own community to do this work. And so I don't ever want folks to feel that way. Um, and so in terms of things this scale, I don't think it's sustainable to do very often. But I think smaller scale things like streamathons or other small charity auctions and fundraisers can at least get some money to organizations in those heavy need states. And for stopping this sort of thing nationwide, I think money is second to voice and visibility because at the end of the day, giving money to charities is going to do amazing work, but it's not going to stop people from being bigoted. Um, and the only way to stop bigotry from advancing is speaking up and being heard when it's happening, which people are doing all across the country in ways that like really inspire me. Like the bravery of folks marching on their Capitol buildings and showing up to share their stories in legislative halls full of people who would call them slurs if they weren't in a legislative building <laughs> yeah. um, is like amazing to me. And I, really like really truly look up to that level of bravery and activism and i think that's the sort of thing that we need to support nationwide uh whether it's paying bail funds for those folks or sending those folks the money so they can take time off of work and go to those um legislative hearings and things like that so like looking for grassroots bail funds or mutual aid funds in those communities and donating what you can to them, I think is the strongest way to help sort of stop the onslaught of local and state legislation. On that, I am a little interested though, because you've mentioned like the next one a couple times. <laughs> do, so I assume you do still like want to do this sometime again in the future. Yeah, um, I really love doing this. Um, I like to joke about the fact that I technically have a degree in capitalism because I have a degree <laughs> in marketing. Uh, so I might as well use it for anti-capitalism because I hate capitalism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if I'm going to be doing marketing, it should be for something I care about. Um, and also, I just like... I've worked in queer health centers and queer safe havens uh, as both a volunteer and an employee, and I know how important they are and what, like, centers of our community they are, uh, and so I always want to do what I can to help them. So I do 
want to do this again. Uh, I, it will be, if I do it this year, it won't be until fall, um, or it might have to wait until next year. I'll have to talk with the folks at itch and everything to see when they'll have capacity for this level of, uh, fundraiser again. Yeah. Um, and I will at that point determine where needs things the most because i always i i do kind of hate having to make that distinction it's difficult um because so many places need this support um so it's kind of a matter of looking at the legislation and orders in place and determining who's doing the work in those spaces that can really like use this money to help people yeah mm-hmm. um so you mentioned um some things already like things you've seen um that have felt particularly heartening, especially like seeing people show up at state houses uh, has been, you know, a very, um, a good way of seeing people publicly push back against some pretty, pretty egregious like violations. Uh, And you also mentioned doing like charity streams and things like that, but just for like the average person, like say they, they miss the bundle or whatever, and they still want to do something to whether it's push back against legislation specifically or like make donations or help their local queer community on like a smaller, more individual scale. Do you have any like suggestions for what people should do or things that you think would be particularly effective on that kind of individual scale? I feel like everyone says it a lot, but I'm going to say it again. Contact your legislators. Mm -hmm. They are legally obligated, whether they want to or not, to listen to their constituents' feedback. And it may not change the mind of someone who's terribly bigoted, um, because, regrettably, some people are just like that. Um, But if one of your legislators is uninformed and doesn't really understand trans communities or queer communities and is just voting along with what the other folks around them are saying, but enough of their constituents are like, hey, we don't want these restrictions put in place. Hey, we want queer folks to feel supported and trans folks to feel supported, then just that interaction can be enough to change someone's mind on voting for an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like as, as much as everyone says it all the time, contacting your legislators, whether they be local state or na- like the, your representatives in Congress and the Senate does actually mean something. And it, and eventually enough letters and things and people will start to pay attention to these issues that they would otherwise sort of put down on the table. And that's sort of an easy and free thing that folks who at least are living in the U.S. can do. For folks outside the U.S., I would suggest similar things with whatever legislative system your country has. I will admit, as someone who is educated in America, I know essentially nothing about the government structures of other countries (laughs) because they didn't feel it was necessary for us to know any of that. Of course. Uh, (laughs) um, But if your country has a representative government calling them, emailing them, those sorts of things. Um, I also definitely highly recommend looking into any, like, queer centers or support networks in your area. Um, If you don't know where to start, the local university or high school is probably a good place. Um, Most universities will have some form of LGBTQ either 
social group or center, depending on how big of a university they are. Um, and some high schools will have GSAs and QSAs as well. Um, and sort of reaching out to them and seeing if they need supplies or funding. Because some, some of them can't accept donations of money, but mm. they can accept donations of clothes or food for their food pantries or those sorts of things. And sort of reaching out to your local queer center whether it be in town or on campus and seeing, hey, what do you need? What is impacting you right now? Um, and then you get that sense of like actually helping your community directly as well, which is really important um, and sort of being involved in that space. And then the last thing is June's coming up in a couple months. Uh, Pride, I think this year is going to be rough yeah. for a lot yeah. of us. I, I think it's going to be a really hard year and possibly really hard for several years um, while we work through what's happening. Um, and so showing up to events that your queer friends and neighbors and colleagues organize for Pride, not having your work's Pride events just being the three queer people who work in your office. <laughs> um, and like showing up and showing out in doing work to help support those things. Like you don't have to be a queer person to participate in organization for pride. My mom has been on the organizing committee for Portland's pride since we moved here. <laughs> she yeah. is a cishet woman and she's like, my kid is queer and I'm good. Well, she doesn't use the, she doesn't call me queer, but <laughs> my, my kid is trans and yeah, she's, she's there in spirit. My kid is trans and I'm going to make the posters. Yeah, that's <laughs> so great. like asking how you can help and how you can give your time and energy. Cause those are just as valuable as money, especially in grassroots organizing. But I guess we're getting a little close to the end of the hour. So like just to, um, I don't know, move, I guess from the, scary political area to the, the somewhat more fun like ttrpg side of the, of this whole deal um and i interviewed you last year for inverse for the 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 last bundle yeah. and you mentioned um so we were talking about the kind of like why so many queer people are drawn to play tabletop games and there's of course the joke about how every queer person relates to the tieflings and all that um, <laughs> me yeah but which is like I love very real yeah um but like equally real is like it is a space for us to tell our own stories when there are so few spaces for that that are provided for us at least in kind of like a mass media sense um but something else that's really i think uh, very special about the TTRBG community is a lot of creators are queer as well. I'm just curious, like, do you see that being the same thing that drives so many queer people to like try their hand at making this? Like, it's just another way of telling our own stories, or is there like, I don't know, something else going on there that you see? I think it's definitely partially that, like, as queer people, the space to tell our own stories is really nice to have mm -hmm. and really encouraging to like dive into uh and so i think that is that is a huge part of it definitely but i also think that it's like tabletop gaming is the more creative and collaborative of the gaming industries and spaces uh mm -hmm. compared to like video gaming and things like that and that like spirit of collaboration tends to make some places not all um more accepting of queer folks and more accepting of marginalized folks in general um, because if you're 
willing to collaborate on the story you're telling, you have to be open-minded, mm. um, at least a little bit. Uh, and so that tends to make for an, a more open-minded space. Of course, this is not always true. You can you can find lots of bigots in tabletop too. But I think that that's really helpful. And like, I think especially right now, um, there are a lot of visibly queer people in tabletop uh, which is unusual for a lot of industries. Like, there are people at the very top echelon of tabletop RPGs, like folks that are on Critical Role, folks that are on Dimension 20, who are openly queer and successful and happy. And I think seeing that gives queer creators a lot of courage and a lot of joy in knowing that there is space for us here. And your identity, who you are, won't stop you from going places in this community. And so I think it's really empowering to see those folks in high places, or from a design standpoint, folks like J-Dragon, mm -hmm. whose games are inherently queer and deeply like emotional and resonating, seeing them do so well and perform so well across the board, whether the players are queer or not, tells us that our stories are important and that our stories are just as meaningful and in a capitalistic hell profitable as <laughs> straight stories are, as cishet stories are. And so I think that's a really important part of it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of going off of that, are there any games, you know, in or out of the bundle that you think facilitate queer stories particularly well? I'm always a big fan of belonging outside belonging systems. Uh, I think their way of doing character gender is fascinating. Um, speaking of Jay Dragon, one of Jay's games in the the, the the game of Jay's that's in the bundle is Wander Home, which mm -hmm. is phenomenal. I love Wander Home. But if you're going to play a game that's like distinctly queer of Jay's, I would want to play Sleep Away. Uh, Sleepaway is a summer camp horror game uh, where you are playing camp counselors and there is an external force known as the Lindworm that is uh, threatening you and your students, essentially. Uh, and the genders in that game are so good <laughs> <laughs> and so relatable. Um, so I really like Sleepaway. There's, I mean, Thirsty Sword Lesbians is in the bundle and Thirsty Sword Lesbians is one of the best games I've ever played, like straight up. <laughs> yeah. It's also won so many awards and it deserves every single one of them. Uh, but there are also a lot of really fun, cool, small queer games in the bundle. There is a game, and I'm forgetting what it is called off the top of my head, uh, but one of the games in the bundle is literally about being the only queer person at a party and how that feels. Oh, yeah. Um, is that This Party Sucks? Yes, This Party Sucks. Yeah. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, classic. And that, one's, <laughs> that one's really good. I love it. And then there are a lot of games that are, like, not necessarily explicitly queer, but the way that they are played and the way that you interact with them encourages, like, exploration of gender or exploration of anything, really. Mm -hmm. um, especially, like, solo journaling games or two-player games. And those sorts of things are always very, like, cool and intimate, which I really appreciate. Yeah. 
yeah, those are all great suggestions. Uh, I've been like browsing the bundle this week and trying to pick out like my favorites. And I'm, I keep getting a list of like 25 games. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> tear it down a little. My absolute favorite tabletop game is in the bundle. Um, <laughs> it's definitely Wizards, which is a rules light game in which you are a bunch of non-wizard magic users trying to finish the wizard exam because <laughs> only wizards are allowed to do magic legally. So you're all pretending to be wizards to pass the wizard exam and rolling with your weird magic stats. And it's legitimately my favorite tabletop game. Oh my gosh, that's great. I'll <laughs> have to check good. that out. Yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of it for me. I don't know if you have anything else asked to, to ask Willa or Rue, no, anything else really. like you think is important to add that we haven't? I'm not entirely sure where we'll be money-wise when this comes out. Uh, presently, we're at $228,000, which is awesome <laughs> and amazing. Uh, if we hit $250,000, which is our goal, um, myself and M. Bellinger, who is a professional paranormal and occult uh, writer and producer, they've been on a bunch of stuff for Discovery and other, like real TV networks uh, are going to get on a live stream and talk about queerness in magic. And we're going to do tarot card readings. And I'm really excited about it. Cool. Uh, so I would love it if we hit that goal, both for the charities. And so I can sit <laughs> on a Twitch stream with a person way cooler than me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. That sounds great. Um, do you want to just shout out your, I mean, we'll put this in the show notes and stuff, but like any socials or anything we should be following if people want to like, you know, see what you're up to, what you're working on next. Yeah, so you can keep up with me on Twitter. My Twitter is ElanaNight13. That's I-L-A-N-A-N-I-G-H-T 13. And literally everywhere else, I'm just Ilana Knight because I made a Twitter when I was 12, forgot the password, and Twitter will not give it back to me. So I... If you type in just Ilana Knight, there is like an empty Twitter that is also mine. Oh, amazing. Um, from over a decade ago. Amazing. So go follow both uh, but of those, those Twitter are... accounts. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can follow the dead Twitter that I believe has two tweets on it. Um, but yeah, so those are my two... My, Twitter is my most active space, um, but I also have an Instagram for my cosplay stuff um, and a Tumblr for all of my art and cosplay and things like that. Uh, and I sell all of my games on Itch, which is also Ilana Knight. Awesome. So I didn't prepare you for this. I'm going to spring this on you. And if you don't have an answer, I'll just cut this part <laughs> out. But we always end every episode just kind of mentioning like a, a something we've done this week, whether it's like a game or some other kind of media or whatever else that we just want to like recommend to people. Do you have a, a recommendation for a game or a cool thing you want people to, to check out? Yes. Uh, earlier this week for what um, like stress relief. Uh, my spouses and I played Space Taxi, which is a Caltrip core game. So you use D4s where you are all in a taxi and it's kind of very like surrealist because you're a taxi going through space. And at any given time, space cats could attack your taxi. <laughs> um, and my spouses and I all love cats. So we kind of messed with the rules a bit and every time a space cat got rolled on the table, we just brought them into the taxi and we ended up with like 10 or 12 cats <laughs> by the end of it, which is really just my life goal as a human. Absolutely. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. 
I want to be a crazy cat person. God, don't we all? Same. Positive. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the bundle is running till April 7th. So when this comes out, people will still have time to buy it if they want to. So check out the bundle on itch. Yes. Buy the bundle. Yes, please. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for being so generous with your time, Real. Uh, it's been really, really awesome talking to you for this. Uh, and I hope you hit the goal and beyond. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>